The Bahamas, Disney, and Italy on episode 16 of Checking In. All right, I'm here today once again with Robin from Lux Recess. Robin, you know, they say your brand is what people say behind a paywall when they don't think you're listening. And I just want to share with you that every time you've been on the show, we get nothing but positive comments from our community. So thank you for coming back and sharing your insight once again. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's our third time, right? It is. Uh, We tend to speak, I think, uh, maybe twice a year. I think it's been nine months since we last spoke. Uh, We talked in September of 2021, and I think 2021 was a year of big domestic travel. And I'd love to get your input on the travel trends that you're seeing. Uh, Is international opening back up? Are people still playing it safe? What are you seeing out there? I would say last year, it was really the adventurous family who was willing to take the financial risk and all of the ups and downs of taking their kids to Europe. People did do it, but it really wasn't the norm yet. This year, things are changing. I'm seeing a lot more families. I have these Facebook group communities, you know, have thousands of members in total. A lot of people are going overseas again. And I, I've been overseas quite a few times this year, and COVID has definitely played a role in things. So, you know, we're, we're getting there. What When the CDC lifts their requirement of a negative test, to get back into the States, that's going to change everything because that's still the uh, factor that's giving a lot of families pause or, you know, anyone, any adult pause, because if you are quarantined, even if you feel great and you're asymptomatic, but you can't produce that positive, uh, the negative test to get back to the U.S., it's really a hassle. It is. And, you know, it, it can be something like you say that you're you know, just had a little bit of a sniffle for one day. You were double vaccinated and boosted and everything. And if you've got, you know, four, six people in your travel party, all it takes is one person out of that to create some really awkward and very expensive situations on that return. And not that you want to travel with, when you're positive, but, you know, those seven, 10, five days, whatever it might be in a country that you know you were done with your vacation you wanted to come home and you're sitting in a hotel and not enjoying the country at all very unpleasant and expensive i'm sure you've heard a lot of stories about people getting caught in that situation right well actually i attended a a a conference in italy in the spring and it was a great conference all of the all of Italy's best hotels show up to talk with travel advisors so i was there as a travel advisor not a travel writer and then after this meeting, there was a a post-conference trip. There were about 15 of us exploring Tuscany. Every single person tested positive except for two of us. Oh my gosh. At different stages. It was a fascinating incubation. And, you know, of course it's all it's not a large enough group to to be meaningful, you know, statistically. But I, I was one of I was one of two people who didn't test positive ever, which leads me to believe that I had COVID and didn't even know it at some point, you know, at some point this year. And I didn't know yeah. everybody else tested positive either at home once they got home or while they were still in Italy. And I learned all of these fascinating things. Like if you tested positive at an official place like a pharmacy, then you know, the num- the clock starts, you're under the official quarantine process. If you test positive at the airport, because you t- waited till the last minute to test at the airport, I don't recommend that to anyone. Because at that point, you are going to be sent to <laughs> like a government facility of where they've designated for quarantine. At least that Whoa. was the case of one of my colleagues in Rome. So she was sent to a place that had, you know, Instagram worthy nightmare styrofoam dinners brought to her. And it was oh. it was not good. But the people who tested, you know, um, on their own and, and realized they were positive and they were still at their hotels, they were the people who were able to negotiate the best quarantine outcomes for themselves. <laughs> this is a whole nother dimension of travel hacking. I, I don't know what you would call that, right? Just optimizing the the downside of a, of a bad occurrence. Oh, My I goodness. know. Yeah, no, it's it's complex. And therefore, you know, when you're traveling, you know, we're doing a lot of family travel this summer. And 
it's every time you leave the country, you have to assume this kind of risk and you have to be prepared. Yeah, I don't think I, you know, I said, oh, you know, I can self-insure, you know, I can handle a few nights in a hotel. I didn't realize how, how really bad it, it could potentially have been. And uh, happy to dodge that bullet and get all of us back here recently from a trip to to Italy. Uh, but it, 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 it is giving me more pause going forward about frivolously uh, gallivanting to an international destination. I mean, uh, we're getting to it in a minute here talking about the Bahamas, but you know, if I can do something that's pretty equivalent to that in Florida, as opposed to going to the Bahamas, I mean, latitude wise, we're not talking too far away. It's going to take uh, some incentive for me to make that international difference because of that, that testing requirement on the way back. And even if the country doesn't require it on the way out. That's right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I do I do want to talk about the Bahamas. I, I know you spent a lot of time there, but um, what just a little bit more on the travel trends. What are you seeing domestically in terms of airfare and hotels. Uh, we've been talking lately about on the point side of things, um, you know, devaluations are always occurring. But my uh, podcasting partner, Sam, has points out that it's very easy for hotels to, you know, devalue in a sense that a hotel that used to be two or three hundred dollars is now five or six hundred. And so these luxury hotels that were a thousand are probably, I don't know, fifteen hundred, two thousand in some cases now. What are you seeing? Absolutely. I, I read a statistic that you could expect an average of a 60% increase of prices for this past spring break season compared to the year prior. Jeez. And I saw that. Um, we went to Florida at some point this past winter, and there was like a list of hotels that I always like to stay at. Nothing was under $1,000. Jeez. Nothing. It, you know, and I would say in the past, they, these hotels might have been six to $800. Or even five hundred dollars. So you know the the bottleneck of demand for this past winter for the warm destinations was absolutely there. Uh, this summer, I'm still seeing inflated prices in a lot of destinations, um, and I'm seeing like if you're trying to go somewhere a little more niche and esoteric, like the smaller hotels and really popular international destinations and domestic destinations, those are still sold out. But things are still available. Um, I'm just hoping that the pricing sort of settles down where, um, you know, we could expect in a year from now, things have, have come back a little bit because it's the redistribution of where American travelers are going and spending their money that are creating the demand that are enabling the price increases. So the more and more American travelers start going overseas, the more you're going to see Florida hotels get back to normal. There you go. I mean, that, that trend that we're talking about there of uh, being conservative and staying in, in the U.S. is then uh, you're saying having an imp impacts on, on the prices of the common, uh, you know, easy thing to do. People are really shocked about the prices in Hawaii this summer, for example. What about, let me ask you about airfare. Uh, you know, in the points of miles community, we're, we're so hell bent on reducing the cost of airfare. I know you play the points of miles game a little bit, but uh, so much in air travel has gone, you know, airline miles uh, still work, but they you don't have the outsized value sometimes. Everything has been, you know, the number of miles that it requires is pegged to the cash price of things. And I'll book some things and I'll, I'll keep monitoring it with Google Flights. And I just see the trend is up, up and up. What are you seeing for uh, domestic airfare? Uh, summer, summer airfares are very expensive right now. I don't, um, I do play the points and miles a little bit with air. I will tell you that it was, there was this beautiful honeymoon period between last fall and maybe February where I was able to look at all of these mileage tickets overseas and then bam, it went away just because now more and more people are using their miles to go overseas. So I'm seeing the the seats get more expensive. Um, I was able to get first and premium economy seats without any effort up until February for some overseas trips that I did. So I don't see that now. Um, I'm still, I, there's one, there's a service that I follow on, uh, you know, flight discounts and flight deals and things. I think that if you're still willing, if you are forced to pay cash, and you have patience, I still think you can get um, deals and airfares that are are not with the COVID inflation, though. Maybe not all destinations, but I still think that there are prices uh, that are reasonable out there if you're going to look for them. Uh, for sure, if you have that flexibility. And I'd echo that same sentiment that, you know, you have uh, something like Omicron come along and, you know, demand goes down, uh, availability opens up. And it's not necessarily for trips that are going to occur in the next two or three months. 
people just seem to you know uh, tamper their enthusiasm for for international travel and maybe you see some availability but uh yeah i i guess like always it's if you have enough flexibility you can you can find a way and make it happen and i think still booking far in advance or starting to look far in advance is a benefit for sure especially with rental cars rental cars Oof. another crazy cost Absolutely. We were just, uh, you mentioned uh, Hawaii. Uh, my, my podcasting partner just got back from Hawaii and he last couple of times he's gone there has rented with Turo uh, rather than with Hertz or National as you would more commonly do. So you have to do some wacky things out there. My, my strategy for rental cars has still been the same even with this. I always book a tentative reservation the second I think I'm going somewhere because the prices only increase. But then starting at about seven days before the trip, then I start checking every day because I will start chipping away up to hundreds of dollars off the reservation as the companies start trying to push the cars out at the last minute. So rental cars requires that um, attention up until the day of travel. Yeah, very unique. Very unique. And I've seen more cases lately than ever where there's just fundamentally not any reservations available at all. Right. So, you, yeah. Why not uh, put in a provisional booking very early on? Because maybe as you get close in, there'll be those will say no availability. They don't want to have angry people show up and not have it. I, thinking specifically in Hawaii. All right. I saw this article come by uh, and I think you caught it as well. It's an article from Loyalty Lobby and I entitled this section, The Sad State of Amex Platinum Travel. And I was, I'm curious why it caught your attention as well, because it caught my attention. I saw the article in a Facebook group I'm in with other luxury travel advisors. Somebody might actually use Amex Travel to book their travel services. I, From my perspective as a points uh, guy, the I often use bank point travel agencies, not because I want their services. It's because I want the uplift that I get by booking through them. And at that point, the travel agent isn't really an agent of mine. They're more of a nuisance. And and I'd like them to get out of the way as much as possible. I think of that specifically when I'm booking airfare through a bank travel agency and I can't interact with the airline directly. And with hold times being what they are with airlines and with the bank travel agency, it creates a real nuisance to the point where I've avoided using bank points, you know, Amex membership rewards, Chase, Capital One, whatever you want, uh, because it's just it, 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 the upside of that uplift is diminished by the hassle associated with it. So as a travel advisor, you know, you're offering a service that is the complete opposite of what these bank, you know, travel agents offer. <laughs> I mean, they're not providing a service, they're providing a detriment of a service. Uh, yes. I mean, that's one of the things that I didn't know this until I became a travel advisor. But obviously so many people who are in the point space, you know, have an Amex Platinum and maybe you're gonna use your points for a portion of your travel, but then when you're paying out of pocket, you would assume, oh, I'll do the fine hotels and rewards and I'll get that resort credit and I'll get that breakfast, right? I mean, it seemed like a normal thing for years. The challenge now is that travel is just not the same landscape that it once was. And if you have an issue when you check into that Park Hyatt or that St. Regis or anything that you as a points luxury traveler did, and there's an issue, they didn't connect your rooms, you didn't get the room that you had expected, or or there's a wedding right outside your door, right? (laughs) You call that platinum travel line and then you're expecting them to call the hotel to resolve it for you. (laughs) Just laughing here, right? Yeah, because (laughs) the hotel doesn't know Johnny from American Express. He knows the travel advisors who send a fair amount of business to them by name. And that's the thing that I always, I'm still surprised the resolutions I'm capable of getting for my clients because as people have said, and it wasn't my brilliant quote, but luxury travel is the business of personal relationships. So as a travel advisor, it's really my job to have personal relationships with all of the sales contacts at the hotels who know me by name and are accountable to me in that relationship. That's the difference. And and I think that because COVID has created so many expletive shows, you know, for so many people, <laughs> they've realized that this wasn't a working model. And I think that people are using that service they're going to be pivoting away from that service more and more. So 
That article also, I just want to point out when they talked about uh, reducing the the platinum travel service to just filling out a form online. I believe it was only for the Nordic regions at this point, but I can imagine this rolling out to many more. Yeah, it is not a good service. I mean, and it's a shame that Amex, who I think runs a pretty good operation, generally speaking, and has had a history of being a travel agency, uh, really de-emphasizing it. But I have to wonder, and I'm sure you've seen this as an advisor, how much more effort are you putting into bookings now than you did before because the frequency of cancellation is so high? Yes. Yes. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I don't I don't have a ton of trips get canceled um, personally, just because my goal with my clients is always let's plan a trip you can take. Mm-hmm. So I sort of steer them with where we think you have the best shot of actually taking the vacation that you've planned. Cancellations happen. But yes, I mean, it's cancellations and it's also the hotels themselves have really struggled if they're still understaffed. Um, I mean, there, there are a variety of things that are that are doing it. The one thing that I think that is so interesting for the points and miles community is because they know all about, you know, I think we've talked about this before, Hyatt Privé you know, mm-hmm. or the STARS program with the Ritz-Carlton's and the St. Regis, or there's an impresario program with Waldorf. So all of these luxury chain, the Four Seasons has one too. Mm-hmm. So they all have their own in-house program to book reservations for guests, separate from like the hotel, like the the bank and the credit card companies. Mm-hmm. So if you're staying at a Four Seasons, and you're booking through Platinum Amex. But another reservation is through a travel advisor who's booking through the Four Seasons Preferred Partner. Which one gets upgraded first? <laughs> I think definitely the in-house one. Exactly. Because like you say, there's just such an impersonal relationship with- There's an uh, impersonal relationship with Amex and they know they know the agencies and they know those, you have, in order to be a part of those programs, you have to achieve a certain volume with those brands. And they know that those are the most coveted uh, sources of revenue because they are personal and they can sway. Whereas an MX Platinum person who's working on their travel desk, you know, they may not even be there in three years. Right. Right. It is a weird, weird market. Uh, the Amex Personal Platinum has a, uh, a $200 credit for booking a fine hotels and resort. We'll get into it in the Italy trip a bit, but maybe it's appropriate time to mention it. And just to illustrate why I do these, you know, why I, maybe me and others are incented to operate with this lousy program, it's a $200 credit per personal platinum card you have. And I have probably, I don't know, eight personal platinum cards under my control. So I booked a, a six night stay, two ro- a three night stay, two rooms. Uh, so six nights and got, you know, $1,200 of credit across six cards. But what a hassle, uh, you know, it ultimately ended up interacting with the hotel, uh, you know, hand to hand combat and didn't really involve Amex other than the $200 credit. But just want to point that out to, just to say why people do the irrational thing of booking <laughs> with Amex travel, even though it's terrible. That's amazing. So, I mean, obviously you take points and miles to a complete, I'm such a newbie compared to you, but when you have that many cards, are they multiple personal accounts and a few business accounts? Uh, Yeah, the credit's only on the uh, personal platinum. And Amex has just been bonkers lately with the number of times that they'll let you get the welcome bonus for cards or they'll incent you to upgrade and give you a bunch of points and things like that. So it's a uh, endless cat and mouse game of trying to eradicate the annual fee that those cards come with, uh, with the the coupon of book of benefits that, that the card has. It's a, like you say, a very high involvement thing. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm not doing it right by spending so much time uh, dorking around with it. Well, look, $1,200 off a hotel stay, I'm not going to sneeze at, right? I mean, I get it. <laughs> oh, if I paid for it. <laughs> you paid for it. You paid for it in other ways? Exactly. exactly. Okay. You well, fair it. enough. I mean, that's, you know, I think that, I think when we redeem and how we redeem also matters so that uh, there's not an emotional cost involved. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about the Bahamas. Uh, you, you you have spent some time there recently. Uh, you say you checked out almost every hotel down there. I only know the Bahamas as being the place I don't get off the Disney cruise ship. <laughs> so there's got to be more to the Bahamas than that. So tell us about the Bahamas. Uh, yeah, I'm so excited that I finally returned to the Bahamas. So my family has been going there since the 50s. Wow. I've been 
dozens and dozens of times. And it was sort of the de facto place we went for spring break for several generations. When I started Lux Recess, I quit going because I wanted to start traveling to all these other places uh, so that I could write about more places and review you know, more destinations. So I hadn't been in nine years and Bahamar was not even there the last time I was there. So it was my first time to see Bahamar. For those who don't know it, it had a, a really fascinating uh, story behind getting this resort built. So I was following the news since I think 2008 uh, when the resort complex went through several different hurdles. It has a Rosewood, an SLS, and a Grand Hyatt. Mm -hmm. So the Grand Hyatt's obviously the one for the Points and Miles community to pay attention to. Um, I went to go, I stayed at every single one of them actually, because people are like, why would you do that? It's like, well, if I don't do that, how can I tell you which one's better in what way? Right? Absolutely. Um, and so I stayed at those. And then I returned to the Ocean Club, which since my last visit has now become a Four Seasons property. And I was very curious about what had changed. And then we also stayed at Atlantis at the Cove. So I really wanted to see, like, if you're going to Nassau in that area, uh, how are all the hotels stacking up against each other? And to answer your question, too, I mean, there's uh, I didn't get a chance to go out to what they call the family islands. But the family islands are wonderful and something that I would, you know, I'll talk to you offline about it because I think you should experience, you know, Eleuthera, Harbor Island, uh, the Exumas. There's just a lot of, um, there's so many beautiful places to go. Also, I do have some specific questions about this. Uh, you mentioned Bahamar, and I've seen that, and I was confused, but you, you, I think you cleared it up there. It's a resort area, kind of like maybe Mayakoba, exactly. where a bunch of different resorts have come in there. And, and a big fan of Rosewood. I've had very good stays there. How was your time at the Rosewood down there? The Rosewood is exceptionally ahead of all of the other two. I will, I will say the Grand Hyatt, which is the one that is typically... It's actually not the entry price point. I think that the SLS is often priced lower than the Grand Hyatt, but so many families assume the Grand Hyatt will be the most family friendly. I found the Grand Hyatt because it's the dominant resort. It is, um, if you look at the pictures of Grand Hyatt, it's the two massive towers. Uh, you know, the check-in situation is somewhat bonkers. The checkout situation is somewhat bonkers. You know, just like it's a big place, so you're. It's like checking into a very big Vegas resort. Exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, that 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 uh, paints a good picture. Yeah, it's a hundred percent Vegas, and a lot of people enjoy that and thrive on it. If you're a family and your kids are younger, it's it's really probably not the energy that you're looking for because. As parents of toddlers and preschoolers, you're already so overstimulated by your own children. You don't really want to deal with the intensity of the crowds and the, the you know, the noise, frankly, that the Grand Hyatt was. So it was my least favorite. Um, Are there casinos there? Yes, there is a nice now, casino all of them, there. Or just that one? And so the Grand Hyatt's lobby level is the casino for the whole complex. Okay. And each of the properties are connected to directly to the casino. So they're not really separate buildings. And SLS, that's not a brand I'm familiar with other locations. Is that a uh, independent hotel entity or is it part of a broader group? Uh, it is independent. It's part of Virtuoso, for example. Um, and funny, I've stayed at two SLSs. Funny, you sp spoke of Disney Cruises. I was at the SLS in Miami on before a Disney Cruise this spring with my son and we were at an SLS again. They're sort of, do you remember when the W hotels came out and they were sort of, uh, you know, a little like ahead of the curve because they had mm -hmm. intimacy mm -hmm. kits. It's like condoms in the mini bar. Well, so <laughs> SLS has that similar kind of thing where they have a pretty, um, pretty big intimacy kit selection of items in their <laughs> okay. mini bar. And depending on the hotel room, they're, the one in Miami had a big mirror on the ceiling. Okay. My son lies in his double bed and he looks up. Wow. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay. All right. So I'm just I, preparing parents for that. But I have to say that SLS, it had a much smaller lobby. So it was a really easy check-in experience. It had a much better room service menu. And even though their pool is adult only, the way Baja Mar is shaped like a horseshoe with all of the resorts, all the pools inside are, you don't even know which hotel pool you're really at. So I don't think that that's, 
personally an issue. I would rather avoid the chaos and stay at SLS and just be prepared of the the mini bar selection, you know, uh, in advance and then, you know, save some money. And so if you're staying at the Rosewood, you can go use the Grand Hyatt pool and vice versa? Yes, all the pools are shared. And then Baja Bay is the name of their water park that opened in July. It was great. I mean, I won't oh. I won't lie. I loved Baja Bay. The the rides there were kind of fun and different. There what I had, you know, like I partake in these types of things with my kids. And maybe these are more common than I realized, but we had these water slides where we as a family were in, you know, two by two in inner tubes. You go uphill. At certain parts and they're like water jets that are pushing you up a hill uh mm. and part of the track and i had never done that before and uh so those were very fun uh there were a few other rides my family rode that i didn't that they loved the lazy river was also nice um they had food trucks and other things around the property the beach in that area is lovely water but the quality of the beach isn't anything special in my opinion compared to paradise island um paradise on the other common area of nassau but i thought rosewood was lovely it had exceptional restaurants it had a um, cafe boulud for dinner as well as their breakfast their buffet was excellent uh it was a buffet so if you are using points or if you are part of a Rosewood elite, for example, would be the rate I would book my clients under. So it had like a nice $125 credit, but then these breakfasts were beautiful buffets of the continental. And then you would custom order your omelets or pancakes or whatever. Food was outstanding and the dinner was was really great. And, you know, as a as a foodie, I was impressed with the kitchen and like the dessert, my daughter, who's really you know, she and I, we love to bake together. But there was a baked Alaska with hazelnut meringue and lime sorbet. And mm. I know that's the reason why I mentioned that. It was phenomenal. It was it was inventive. It was a fusion of flavors one wouldn't expect. And everything that we ordered on that menu had a little bit of a risk to it that really worked. And, and I think that that was um, a very well thought out experience. And the rest of the food outlets at Bahamar. There's so many of them. It's kind of overwhelming. The food was very strong. Some of them were a little more, it, it, just like a Vegas resort. You know, there were some that were a little more chaotic than others, but you could go to Rosewood and sort of escape the madness and only partake in the the bigger mega resort experience when you wanted to. Interesting. I wasn't aware of the water park down there. Is that all uh, uh, additional cost or is that included in the lodging at any of the Bahamar resorts? It's included in the lodging and they do sell day passes to the public, but the cruise ships are still only selling day passes and excursions over to Atlantis. So the park did not feel very crowded. Well, let's talk about Atlantis. Uh, that's where I was thinking where, where the water coasters were and things like that. And I think there's, boy, I don't know. I've heard so many good and bad things about Atlantis. I had the time of my life. We stayed in this uh, nicer part of it, or it was the worst day of my life. What? How did you experience it? And what was your impression of Atlantis these days? I had really low expectations and we had a great time. And my kids enjoyed Atlantis more than Baja Bay. Whoa. Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> did you stay in the fancier part of it? We did. We stayed at the Cove. Mm -hmm. The Cove suites are um, spacious and they were nice. But they were very dated. That's the one drawback is that for the price that you pay, unless you're getting one of their more premium suites that might have been refurbished, it was a very 1990s feel to them. You know, like this pale yellow cream and blonde wood and it just i you felt like you were time traveling to a luxury hotel a long time ago wow yeah no you, i i've never been to atlantis I, i've heard about it back in the day it looked incredible fun for the kids fun for the whole family and i almost wonder if my kids have aged out of that uh, just for people for reference well, how old are your kids now they're 10 and 16 okay so I wouldn't say they have a, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say they've aged out of it. I would say okay. Atlantis is still a really fun water park for adults. They have a, a river ride that isn't lazy at all. It's, it's, it's like a mini, you know, river rafting type of experience. It's so fun. I think we did that for like three hours. It's really fun. <laughs> cool. Um, and they also have, um, 
those rides where you go down water slides and you're immersed through these tunnels where, you know, in a shark tank, things like yeah. that. It, it, yeah. You know, that those kinds of things are still fun and there's a bit of a thrill the first time you do it. I like it. So positive review for Atlanta. You, you would recommend that? I guess that's a Marriott property. I don't know whether yeah, it's a good redemption I think, or... Yeah, I, I'm confused by it too because I think there's an autograph affiliation with them. Mm. Um, I will say that the hotel... The original Atlantis Hotel has refurbished some of their rooms and they looked quite nice. They're just historically not their luxury property. So that's the irony right now. To get the newer rooms, you would stay at their entry level properties. And their luxury properties, I guess, are just, you know, in line for the big update. All right. Well, anything else to add on the Bahamas before we transit over to Italy? For people who are redeeming French Leaf uh, in Eleuthera is a Marriott property that I would definitely check out. Their cash rates around seven to $800 a night. Um, but that would be a wonderful experience if you're Bonvoy wealthy to then you know see if you can redeem at Atlantis and then head over to one of the family line islands afterwards to really experience the contrasting experience of big Bahama tourism and more mellow Bahama tourism. I've never heard that one. What was it called? French Leaf? Yes. Or French huh. leave, I believe. French leave. And how do you uh, get from point A to point B there? Is it a, a, a boat ride? Is it a, a drive? How do you get there? Uh, you can take a high-speed ferry uh, that has that runs certain days of the week, but otherwise you would just take um, a short, a very short plane ride from from the Nassau airport. All right. Cool. Yeah, I've heard of that area. Maybe I'm hearing about it in the context of Disney Cruise Line doing something at Lighthouse Point, creating another castaway key. That was somewhere in that area, I think, right? It's exactly. It's also in Eleuthera, too. Okay. All right. Well, the, boy, you're giving me uh, points and miles things to look into, and uh, I never heard of that property, so I'll have to, I'll have to check that out. Um, oh, so no test required to get into the Bahamas? Is that right? Uh, no, yes, there were tests required. And I had seen a couple of hiccups uh, in 2021 with people not hearing back. But for the four of us, our experience was very seamless applying for a health visa and supplying our negative tests, getting them to reply within the 12 to 24 hours. And then getting home was a breeze. Um, the Bahamar testing setup, if every testing setup was just like this, they have a 24-hour suite off the casino. You walk in, you get your test done. They email you, you know, 20 minutes later and you're good to go. That's pretty great. I didn't know that there was still uh, my perception on the countries that were requiring a test to get in as opposed to coming home was that if it's a, a tourist driven country, they're probably going to be pretty permissive and do everything they can to get people down there. I would imagine the Bahamas are that way, but you're saying a test on the way in. And and for me, I think that's probably even harder than on the return. Like, I, I don't know, I guess I could use those e-med uh, online proctored tests in both directions. Would they work to get into the Bahamas or how did you test to get into the Bahamas? We did use those e-med proctored tests. I learned about those from the people in Italy who got COVID I was telling you about. Yeah, yeah. Those are a game changer. It's amazing to be able to just do the, the test when you need to on your timeline. Yeah. Yeah. So you use those, uh, th those qualify to get into the Bahamas. Correct. But then okay. on the way back, we just use the free antigen tests offered by Bahamar. Oh, they're free. Yes. Very nice. All right. Well, that rounds it out, I think, on the Bahamas. Let's talk a little bit about Italy. Your experience with Italy, um, for me, it's probably the international country I've been to more than any. Love it every time, different every time. Uh, the way the regions are so distinct. I just have a uh, just a really, really soft spot in my heart for Italy. What's your experience with Italy and uh, what, what, what do you love about it? Well, I minored in Italian uh, so that I could travel to Italy a lot in my lifetime uh, because I also feel the same way. I love everything about it. I've traveled a lot in Italy. Um, I've hit all the cities several times. And then the countryside that I know best is the Puglia region. Hmm. And I haven't been back to the Puglia region actually since all of its big development that's also occurred in the last decade. Um, so, but I still, I have friends who are from there. So I would always go and visit them and stay with them and explore that region with them, which was a, del you know, delightful, uh, life life-changing and memorable experience. 
Yeah, we were talking on, uh, I did a trip report and we visited the Amalfi Coast and Bologna and the Emilia-Romagna region this time. And I was really blown away by Bologna because it wasn't as touristy as some of the more famous destinations. And I think that idea really resonated with a lot of people. And I'm looking for more places like that, that, you know, Sorrento was nice, uh, but it was just so overrun with uh, kind of tourist trappings. And I, I like the way Bologna just was more of a living, working city. Sure. So how do you balance that off? Um, you know, you want to see the Colosseum. You want to see the canals of Venice. But at what point are you then ready to switch gears and experience uh, to go deeper into a destination, Italy or otherwise? How do you suss that out in your mind? Well, with there's two things. One is if it's adults going versus if there are kids going. Fortunately with Italy, I still feel like because it is such a culinary destination that is so accessible to children because they're going to have the best ice cream and pizza and pasta. That's like a really helpful way to lure children at a younger, you know, less savvy traveling age. So I think that helps. I think that um, kids really need to see these iconic places so that it means something. They they know about the Colosseum or they know about icons in Rome because they read the Percy Jackson series and they want to mm. connect, you know, what they've read with things that they've learned about. Just like kids still get excited when they see the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. But I do agree with you. I love um in the Emilio Romagna, Parma is a wonderful city as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, you stay in these secondary cities where it's really not targeted to tourism. It's targeted to people who it's a working living city or it's a, you know, Bologna is the, the academic capital of Italy. So it's like going to Boston in a way, you know, it's just the university has a very big presence there. Yeah, maybe that's why I liked it so much. Uh, thought, just thought it was fantastic. But um, where did you go most recently? And uh, I'm just, just thinking here, you know, what, what are your favorite parts of Italy that you'd recommend for people with kids? And then maybe what you'd recommend for more of a couple situation? Just uh, not, not to put you on the spot, but what comes to mind when I uh, frame it that way? Sure. What I like when I go to Italy... For the longest time, if I when I I used to be a New Yorker, so when I lived in New York, I didn't really want to go to the cities in Italy. I wanted to go to small towns in Italy. I wanted to walk around uh, something that was like quiet and charming. So this trip, I explored Tuscany on a deeper level than I had before. Stayed at a couple of different properties uh, and did the traditional sort of Tuscan experience with cooking classes and um, things like that. I would say that there's still, there's really kind of less to do for families in that type of travel. I've, there are a couple of very family-friendly places I found in Tuscany, but you, you have to be prepared of how you're going to fill your day based on the ages of your kids. Mm -hmm. Swimming pools, cooking classes, bicycle rental, right? Like, and then after that, there's just not that much to do. So when you're creating that Italy itinerary with your family, you have to think about how do you vary the experience between like intense touring, but that could also include Italian toy stores, you know, for the younger kids to browse around in or something like that. So the intense touring within a couple of days of relaxation um, in these smaller areas, it's just my opinion that if your kids are younger, you really can't stay in those places for more than a couple of days. That's a really interesting point. Um, we had good luck in Tuscany when the kids were young. And our days were full of, uh, you know, going to a grocery store, cooking some things at the villa. Yeah, swimming pools, uh, you know, big giant helpings of gelato. Uh, but as they've gotten older, their interests have really have changed. And I think they might be bored with that trip, whereas uh, before it was a pretty good fit for us as a family. I think some of our best times on this most recent trip was where, you know, they're uh, 17 and 14 now. We were able to cut them loose and, uh, you know, they went and explored the, the town on their own. Right. You know, rather than going to that fancy dinner, they were able to go to a little, uh, you know, a, a grocery store and pick up some sandwiches and just to hang out and, and, and have that independence. So, uh, you know, it's really important, I think, to read the situation for where your kids are and adapt, adapt that over time because... Gosh, you know, even before the pandemic to now, kids can have changed so much. And it's important to, to kind of take a pulse of what they're interested in doing now and think of whether that trip that you had planned three years ago is still the trip that you want to take now. What do you think? It's brilliant. I totally agree. And I think that I love hearing you talk about your sons exploring a town on their own. Mm 
Um, that really warms my heart. I think that giving your kids age appropriate, increasing independence while they travel is going to serve them very, very well. And you as a parent in the long run too. Well, we were talking before we recorded about um, your, your thoughts on on that specifically, uh, tr- trying to make the most of your vacations. And I got to say, on this last trip, it was uh, stressful. It was stressful times. We did a multi-generational thing and we had so many marks to hit and some things went wrong as they inevitably do. But I I still, I, I think a couple nights ago, uh, even though it was a couple weeks ago that we were there, had a nightmare that I was sitting in the lounge and I missed our flight. Just like a stupid thing. I'm like, oh, the flight left? I didn't, oh. and I, I, it was stressful for some reason. I don't know why it wasn't particular, whether I was out of practice or, or, or what have you, but what what do you recommend for people doing family travel internationally, Italy maybe specifically, but in general, to make the most of the trip? I think that if your children are of a certain age, you have to recognize what level of autonomy they deserve. So what that means is if your children are capable of ordering for themselves, if they are capable of carrying their own suitcases, and then obviously if they're capable of going and exploring on their own, you have to keep that at the forefront and recognize that it is healthy and natural that as they are increasing in their autonomy, they're they're going to want to follow a parent's itinerary less and less. Mm-hmm. So my daughter is 16 and she's a great traveler and we have a very close relationship, but I can tell when we did 11 days, you know, and my travel, because I really wanted to stay at all these properties, it really wasn't like, I mean, it was a work trip for me, right? They were enjoying the pools and the beaches and things, but it was, we have very rigid schedules when we travel because it's time to check out. It's time to move on to the next place. And I can see there's just a certain tolerance that that teens and tweens have of being told what to do when they know there's no flexibility. So it's really important to say, we have to do this because we have to check out by this time. Later today, we have this free time that I think you should decide how you want to spend it. I like that. Um when we were down in Sorrento, one day we had a, a big tour planned of the Amalfi Coast. And of course, everybody did that. The The van showed up, we did the tour. The next day was more flexible and some of us wanted to go to Capri and some of us did not. And we ended up ultimately not going because it was too flexible. So threading that needle of having enough planned that you have a good experience versus allowing for free time and choice is something I'm, I'm still uh, wrestling with. But even your mention of it there really uh, uh, it makes me think about that even more, right? Finding that that balance, I think for any travel, uh, family travel or otherwise. I don't know if we talked about this on another episode, but so, you know, I have another podcast with my sister-in-law that's not on travel. Um, she's that anxiety expert. We're talking about emotional management and a family managing big emotions. And she was hiking in Switzerland on her honeymoon. And she was already a therapist, but she wasn't a mom yet. And so she she and her husband are big hikers. They're hiking up rock and they pass this family. And there was like a 15-year-old girl who was sitting on this rock. And she's like, I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) So the the parents are like, come on, come on, we got to climb up. And and the the kid was like, no. And so uh, Lynn, my my co-host she's like that ladies and gentlemen is called puberty rock (laughs) and so you have to acknowledge that puberty rock is going to potentially appear on your vacations (laughs) and you have to front load some flexibility in order to prevent puberty rock and that's what i'm always kind of thinking about and and as i talk about a schedule and i look at my daughter's reaction to whatever that is, and I can tell when I'm getting on thin ice, where I, do, I just want to avoid puberty rock. Who doesn't, right? I don't want to get there. <laughs> well, I think of this as a continuum too, right? Uh, when the kids are so young, maybe they're still in diapers, they can't pull their own luggage. That's when you get to make the call and your trip's going to be different because of them, but they will come along, maybe not uh, always pleasantly, but they're not showing that kind of uh, maturity to object to it in <laughs> indirect ways like you're describing there. But right. then as they get older, uh, hopefully, you know, they, they still want to take trips with you to some extent. 
and you start entering a, a period and I see other people going through it where the kids are in college and you have to work with their college schedules and your work schedules and then they get married and the boyfriends and girlfriends and it just it just never ends and if if you like family travel it isn't necessarily just the age when they're in elementary school it, it's a continuum that hopefully continues throughout life and then maybe one day I can be the the grandpa in the multi-generational thing right it, it, it never ends it never ends I agree that my husband and I talk a lot about our parenting goals and we obviously have traveled a ton for my work and we get a lot of joy from it. I mean, it's it's far more joy than not, but we have to work on that. It's not joyful automatically because of the ways we want to incorporate and respect our kids' needs too. But our goal is that like, we just want our kids to still want to travel with us when they're older, they're going to want to come back and reconnect as a family and go somewhere and that that's a, an appealing decision for them and not something they feel like they're doing out of have to. That's like my goal. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, I, I don't want to jump off Italy, but before I get some specific recommendations from you, uh, what really stood out in recent memory for a, a destination or a, perhaps a hotel to check out? Sure. I'll tell you the hotels. So when I was in Italy, I met with every luxury hotel in the country, and I'm not exaggerating. It was exhausting. <laughs> um, here are a couple places that I can't wait to take my family to. All right. One of them in Tuscany that I think is very family friendly is called La Conda Rosso. And that is a preferred hotel. It's um, There's a chain in New England called the Lark Hotels that you probably know. Hmm, no, I don't. Well, Lark Hotels is just like a small independent chain of um, three and four star hotels, but they have a really great interior design branding uh, consistent from property to property. Just like okay. fun and colorful and vibrant. And uh, this Tuscan property is very family friendly, had larger villa units with kitchens, but a huh. still full resort access. And it had that kind of vibe. So it wasn't like all of the, you know, it, Italian, traditional Italian interior design gets really boring personally after a while. It's a lot of, you know, thick, ornate, painted gold or, you know, and so to see something fused and more eclectic and modern and whimsical, it just, it, it just looked really fun. So that place is on my list. And then another place that actually, I think, I don't want to misstate this, but, um, I'm going to give, I can't, it's not a shout out because I haven't been there yet, but I'm trying to go. Palazzo Margherita is in the South of Italy, much more obscure area. And I think it's actually owned by Francis Ford Coppola. Hmm. But I'm not positive about that. There's some sort of association. I've seen a place that was associated with that, and that was on my radar screen. I'll have to look that one up. What I like about it as a, a great destination for families is that it's still within a small town that's walkable so that you can enjoy your charming boutique hotel and its really elevated food experience. But I think just walking around like a, a typical Italian village is also really fun and that's one of those places that you're probably not going to have a ton of tourists. Although it's not in Puglia, you will take a train over to Puglia and then get a car. Um, it's in a it's in a much less developed area. I like that idea of being in a small village with at least uh, you know two restaurants to pick from or something like that. Some of the places I've stayed at are very uh, agriturismos, uh, you know, just uh, completely out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and I don't no like nothing that. Nothing all you can walk to. Yeah, yeah I don't like yeah. that. I want to be able because I think that with kids of of most ages, it's really fun to go into an Italian pharmacy. Look at the shelves. Yeah, absolutely. what looks different or what looks the same? Go into the cafe. I mean, just to make them observe all of those little differences of everyday life, I think is important. Yeah, yeah. Were those both in Tuscany or further south down? Palazzo Margherita is in, I think, Matera. Like I said, it's um, it's just to the left of the Puglia region. I don't think it's in Basilica. I think it's in Matera. Uh, running short on time, anything else you want to mention about Italy before we close it out with a couple of quick Disney bites? No, but your availability this year is going to be very limited unless you stick to the cities. So if you were thinking about a really special Italian trip, I would wait till next year. Hmm. Hmm. Italy will be there next year, God willing. So good advice there. Um, I always do like to chat a little bit with you on Disney. And I, I, I'm really curious. Have you done the, the book, the Galactic Star Cruiser yet? 
I have not. I just had friends go, I think, last week. And uh, I can't wait to hear what she thought. I'm hearing good things in general. Uh, expensive for sure. We were down there and, you know, when you're at uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, just, uh, you know, having a, a drink and a bite to eat at Oga's Cantina, they're having a drink or whatever. You see people, they have these little, you know, but, uh, special buttons on and you can tell when they are experiencing the day on land there and uh, across the board, you know, random people I bumped into there or, you know, Len Testa Touring Plans had a rave reviews for it. It, it seems like they've uh, hit a home run here. I, it'd be interesting if they can replicate this in other Disney parks, other types of experiences. Maybe, I don't know, Universal will have a Hogwarts experience or something like that. I, I, I'm on the fence, though, because I don't know how much I want to play dress up. You know, I feel like I might be just wanting to watch the experience and then it, I hear it isn't quite as good if you don't really get into it. So I don't know. Are you, are you, are you gung-ho? Are you going to get dressed up and go for it? Yeah, I thought, you know, when the idea of a Star Wars resort came out, I was like, I'm all in. Take my money. Yeah. This experience, I'm not I'm not sure. Like my kids yeah. and my husband, like my husband and I are diehard Star Wars fans from the 70s. And I don't know. I think it's right for the right people. Yeah. I'd be much more interested just to make it cheaper, go with other adults who are all each only paying our way than investing in that family vacation and it not feeling like it was worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that um, if you're on Puberty Rock there, you really, you'd be really frustrated. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> How about the uh, Disney Wish? Are you still scheduled to go on that this year? I think you had it booked last time we talked. New ship, fifth ship. It uh, looks like it's got some nice new features. Are you still doing that? I am. I was one of the ships. I, I was booked on one of the sailings that was canceled due to the delay. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm still going in July. I can't wait. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I was just on the Magic and that was that was fun. I had never been on the magic before because I've always sailed the Disney dream. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd love to just give a quick shout out talking about the fusion of both of my worlds. We did my two best my best friend and I each took our youngest kids on a Disney cruise ship. They are in fifth grade and they're they're friends. They get along well. We made a decision to say the ship is yours. You have your phones. There's a Disney chat app where you can connect and tell us where you're headed. So we always sort of know an idea of how to find you and to connect with you. But we gave them free reign. My son had never had that before. My daughter's friend never had that before. They loved it. And we even allowed them to go to the dining room at night by themselves, to the main oh, dining wow. room, so that we went to Paolo by ourselves. Yeah. Oh, how cool. And it was just the smartest thing ever. Like I just, that's why I'm giving a shout out to it because my best friend and I got to reconnect in a way we really hadn't since COVID. A lot of uninterrupted conversation. My kids, the kids really benefited from having that sense of independence. And I think what is a very safe opportunity, they were always together. You know, it was, it was, it was fantastic. So don't just think of a Disney cruise with your family. Think of a Disney cruise with your friends and kids. We all shared a cabin separated by the curtain. It was fine. It was great. I would do it again I, every year. That's what our plan is. We thought it was that fun for all of us. I love it. Um, I, I think Disney has really architected a lot to cater to that um, median family of four. Uh, but it sounds like, you know, getting everybody on the same page and enjoying that can be tricky sometimes. And what you found there is just an absolutely perfect thing. You got to connect with a friend. And I agree that the, the first time our boys, uh, we were comfortable with them feeling that independence was on the ship. And it's so cool. They're, where are they going to go? Right. right. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a safe environment. And that created a, a, a really nice situation. I'm a big fan of the, um, you know, the, the father son trip or, you know, the, the daddy daughter trip or whatever it might be. And this sounds like a, a, a spin on that, right. Where you don't have, have, uh, the same dynamics if you have that family of four that's all there together so I really like that I saw that you posted about that I was like man that sounds really cool if I had a friend who was about the same age with a young you know that, that I would definitely do that as well I, I, I really like that idea yeah no absolutely if we need to get a group of adults together to go to to save some money to do that Star Wars uh, galactic ship you know count me in because I, I still think I'm intrigued I just don't think that that price point is going to be, it's going to feel like a great thing for everyone who does it. I think some people might say, eh, it was fine. 
So you, know, you mentioned uh, getting people together. You have an event coming up in Orlando. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So I host retreats. Um, my, the podcast I have with my sister-in-law, we started doing parenting retreats. The pandemic happened. We started a podcast instead. But now we're back to our retreats. We did our third third retreat in February for parents and teens at the Woodstock Inn. Uh, We've done two retreats at Canyon Ranch, but I heard some feedback of like, I'd love to come to one of your retreats, but I can't get away from my kids. I don't have that flexibility. You know, some people can leave their kids with some people, some people can't. So I started thinking about it. I thought, oh, well, what if we just did our retreats at a place that had built-in childcare that was complimentary? And of course I was like, Bing, the Four Seasons Orlando, which is Mm -hmm. such a great place. So they, speaking of Omicron, you were talking, we got in Omicron the most incredible room rates, (laughs) $4.95 a night at the Four Seasons Orlando, which is like $1,000 off a night, basically. I haven't haven't seen that there in some time. Maybe when they first opened, there was something in that range. But every time I check, you're right, even in the the middle of summer, it's closer to $1,000 than $500. So incredible rate. So we have this incredible rate, and it's two hours, two mornings, Saturday and Sunday morning. Um, as our traditional parenting retreat. And that's where Lynn, who's just like amazing, she has her fourth book coming out in October as well. She goes through this. It's, I always say to people, they say like, oh, well, that's not really for us because we don't have any, you know, anxiety disorders. Well, that's not really what it's about. Her talks about parenting are really about um, promoting your connection by reducing your anxiety. And everyone has anxiety, especially once they really understand what it is. And if you don't have any more anxiety after the last few years, I want to befriend you because I think that that's impressive. (laughs) So we do two hours of that in the morning. But other than that, we have this private VIP fireworks party inside Epcot. Um, We have this pop-up party on Friday at the Four Seasons, welcoming all the families. We've capped it. It's not not many parents, I mean, not many families can come. They have to be intimate um, in our experience. Uh, We have a beautiful brunch on Sunday. And yeah, I'm totally excited. All right, so uh, we'll put a link in the show notes here if, so where people can go to find out more about that. Uh, I, I like what you're saying there. Uh, you don't need to be like, you know, uh, self-diagnosed or otherwise diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. This could be a great fit for anybody, uh, any family and anybody who likes the, the type of travel that you've been talking about here today. My favorite thing about our past retreats is that some people have gone just because they followed me on social media. So they are readers of Lux Recess and they're not sure that the workshops will be that relevant to them. And they come up to me afterwards and they say, this changed my life. I mean, and I can say that too. Um, What Lynn talks about and what she trains every family to do is a complete game changer. And sometimes I just get really tired of trying to figure out (laughs) half a dozen ways to say, trust me, you need this because people just don't know what they don't need. But it's been, um, it's been such a game changer to work with her and do this podcast. And when I have Lux Recess readers write to me and say, I learned about this podcast because, you know, because of you and it's, uh, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, your sister-in-law is wonderful. And, and I have people come up to me on a regular basis and say, Lynn Lyons is your sister-in-law. So if you know of her, you know what a big deal she is. So this is the only way people get really access to her is through these retreats because she doesn't take new clients. She's been a therapist for 30 years and she's starting to wind down, you know, and, and do other things. So it's a really great opportunity. And what are the dates on it? September 30th to October 2nd. But most families, we're half sold out already. Most families are checking in on the 29th. All right. Absolutely. We'll include a link to that. And I'm sure some people will be looking forward to that. Sounds like a great event. Hey, Bob, since you're a points guy, I know you can figure out this math. I'm I'm not the points guy. I'm a points guy. Right. Since you're a points guy, I know you can figure out this math. If you get a basically $1,000 a night discount on a three-night stay at the Four Seasons, it means the registration fee is basically free. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, at what point is it just, uh, you know, you get all these perks and uh, a great rate there. I, I love it. It's a fantastic deal. Robin, thanks so much once again for sharing your wisdom with us, sharing your your, your down-to-earth sensibilities about on luxury travel. Always enjoy talking with you. Hope it's uh, not another nine months before we speak again. Oh, me too. I just, I wish I just knew all about the points and miles that you know, because I think it would just, 
it would be so valuable. You're offering a really, really great service to your listeners too. Well, thank you. And I, uh, I really appreciate um, cross-pollinating our ideas here because I, when I like it the most, you know, your Facebook groups are fantastic. Uh, what I like it the most is when somebody asks for like a hotel recommendation and it comes up and it's a Park Hyatt and I can use Chase Ultimate Rewards to stay there and use my globalist status. And that's actually the best hotel to stay at, not just the best points hotel to stay at. So I, I get as much in inspiration on where to go from your groups is probably about just anywhere. So thank you for that as well. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Have a good, good weekend. We'll talk to you again soon. Mm -hmm.